0: Good morning, Grace Chapel. I am Mark Wilson, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I guess one other thing you should know about me, did you notice that every time Crystal said grumpy guy, she looked right over there where I was sitting? (laughs) I don't know what to make of that, but uh, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. And so we want to spend some time this morning reflecting on what the Scripture has to say about Thanksgiving. In your bulletin, you notice there's a Colossians text there that's sort of our framing text. It's not the text that we're going to spend a ton of time in, uh, but it does sort of situate a lot of the things that we're going to discuss. Uh, When we have Scriptures we're going to reference, we'll shoot them up on the screen. Uh, So we want to talk about Thanksgiving, but not the holiday. So this morning, we're going to try to answer four questions about Thanksgiving. First one, what is Thanksgiving? Uh, second one, what does Thanksgiving do? Third, how have we sometimes gotten Thanksgiving wrong? And number four, what can we do to grow in thankfulness? So, so those are kind of the, the four landing points this morning. So that's our plan, so let's mount up. What's Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Well, a good place to start is with the words the Bible uses to name the thing we call thanksgiving. In Hebrew, the Bible has two important words to connote thanksgiving. And if we anglicize them, they would be todah and barak. And they're often translated as thanksgiving and bless. And we see those pop up in Psalm 100. Know that Yahweh, He is God. He made us and we are His We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So in this psalm, people are moved to thanksgiving by the recognition that Israel's very existence depends on the Lord. And the only proper response to that is to acknowledge this through thanksgiving and blessing. Well, another place that the word todah appears in Leviticus chapter 7, and here it names a communal sacrifice that an Israelite would bring to the tabernacle. It's cool. It's sort of like a a hostess gift. You know, sometimes when you go to someone's house for supper, you bring a gift. Well, when when we go, sometimes Sally will, will bring a bottle of wine for everyone to share during the meal. It's a token of appreciation for the friendship of our hosts. And by analogy, that's sort of what is going on in Leviticus 7 with this thanksgiving. The Israelite brought an offering with lots of bread, and the bringer of the offering shared a meal with the Lord via the priest. It was not about erasing a deficiency. It was not about forgiveness of sin. It was about a desire to come into God's presence. It's as if the person is saying, I want to spend some time with God, so I'm going to go to his house. And I'm going to bring him a gift, because I'm so glad for this covenant relationship that we have together. And the thanksgiving offering expresses my gratitude that there's peace between the Lord and me. That's an amazing thing. Todah can also refer to a song of thanksgiving, and even to the choir who sings the song. And that's interesting, because it shows the ancient Israelites took their thanksgiving very seriously. And you can tell that from the instructions we read in Psalm 33 and Nehemiah 12. Psalm 33 two says, "Give thanks to Yahweh with the lyre, with a harp of 10 strings, play to him, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with jubilant shout." In Nehemiah 12, we get a glimpse of how central thanksgiving was to the life of the returning exiles. It was so important that they had reassembled the thanking choir. Now, the job of the thanking choir was to give thanks. And when the people of God gathered for worship, these choirs of thankers aligned themselves across from one another, and they shouted back and forth their thanksgiving to God. And it could be really raucous. Think Husker Power Chant. Only not lame, okay? That's that's what it was like. So far, we see that in the Old Testament, thanksgiving is an individual and a corporate response to the generosity of God. And that response is rooted in gratitude for the gifts of God. Thanksgiving gets expressed through the gift of an offering meal, through a worship band, and by a choir singing songs of thanksgiving to God. So thanksgiving is a response to a gift that finds bodily expression through sharing a meal, through songs, and other thank-you gifts. Now, scholars tell us that in the intertestamental period, between the New and the Old Testament, it became commonplace in the Greek-speaking world to express thanks or gratitude with the word charis. And charis was eventually translated into English as grace, or sometimes as gift. And like the Hebrew words we looked at, Charis names both a gift and a response to a gift. Now, by New Testament times, the Greek language had a standard word for thanks. It was the word eucharista. And as you'll see, the word charis is embedded in the word eucharist. So, if you've been in Christian circles much, you've probably heard the word eucharist. It's a word often used to name what our tradition calls communion or the Lord's Supper. So let's look at some New Testament examples of thanksgiving and see if we can make some observations. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says this to the Corinthians. I give Eucharist to my God always concerning you because of the charis of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. So Paul gave thanks to God for the Corinthians and for the gift of grace that they received. And implicit in that is the idea of gift. So Paul gave thanks for a gift given. No one earned anything. No transaction has taken place, but something has been given. Another passage in Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes this. I give thanks to my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in my every prayer for all of you, making the prayer with joy. In verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart since all of you are sharers of the grace with me. Paul says it's right for me to think this. In other words, thanksgiving is proper and necessary as a response to God's gift of the Philippians to Paul. And for Paul to fail to offer thanks would be to dishonor the giver and the gift. One more really familiar passage in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Thanksgiving then is a mark of the work of the Spirit, which means that an ungrateful heart is a heart at odds with the Spirit. In fact, if I want to take my spiritual temperature, I'd use the thermometer of gratitude. Well, that's an overview of what Thanksgiving is. What does Thanksgiving do? What is it for? Why be thankful? Well, first of all, Thanksgiving orients our affections. Next to being really sick, thanksgiving is the most effective way I know to root us in the truth of our utter dependency. Thanksgiving is a creaturely act. When I give thanks to God, the Creator, it's an admission that everything, even life itself, is a gift from Him. Even the things that I appear to be in control of flow from the actions of a loving Creator. Paul expresses this dependency at the end of Romans chapter 11. Here's what he says. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Well, thanksgiving is a powerful antidote to the hubris of self-sufficiency. That's often our default position, though. Thanksgiving reminds us that God is never in our debt. And practicing thanksgiving helps us to stay rooted in our creaturely dependence. And it reminds us that no part of our relationship with the Lord is transactional. So what else is thanksgiving for? What can regularly practicing thanksgiving do for us? Well, habitual thanksgiving can drown out discontent. Question, would you say that contentment is what characterizes most of your days? Are we a content people? Do we ever have the fear of missing out? Do we ever feel a little twinge of disappointment or even envy when we see someone's Instagram life? When we see their new car, their significant other, how well their kid is doing, their new job or their new house? Are we content even when the other political party is in charge? Envy? Covetousness and discontent are not just modern problems. Listen to Psalm 73. The psalmist says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. So when the psalmist sees other people's prosperity, he's envious. He recognizes that his attitude is a kind of stumbling because his vision of God's providence has become distorted through comparison. And comparison kills contentment. His view of God's generosity has narrowed. He needs something to reorient his vision into conformity with God's truth. And that something is thanksgiving. Paul comes at this another way in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So, immorality, which is a manifestation of discontent when you think about it, and impurity and covetousness, which is idolatry. And filthiness and corrupt speech are listed here by Paul as attitudes and behaviors that have no place in the church. Instead, he says, we are to replace these with thanksgiving. Why? Because it's thanksgiving that kills the discontent that leads to dysfunction and disorder. Another passage, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul has learned to be content irrespective of his circumstances, right? The practice of thanksgiving is part of Paul's secret. Now, just a a few verses earlier, Paul writes, and this is a familiar passage for us, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul knows that discontent feeds the fever of anxiety. But Thanksgiving is spiritual ibuprofen. Thanksgiving is medicine for our anxious hearts. And if we engage in it, Thanksgiving can bring us that sweet peace of God that Paul talks about. Okay, so far we've considered what Thanksgiving is. We've reflected on what Thanksgiving does and it's for. So now let's turn our attention to how we sometimes can get Thanksgiving wrong. Now, let's begin our consideration with an observation. If you look in a concordance and you look up thanksgiving and thanks or their related terms, they show up about 70 times in the New Testament. In all, but about four of those times, thanksgiving is directed toward God in gratitude for a gift. Here's a perfect example from Romans chapter 1. Paul writes this in verse 8. First, I give thanks to my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in the whole world. So Paul offers thanks to God for the church at Rome. Now, this is a consistent pattern in the New Testament. In fact, it's the pattern of the entire Bible. People don't thank people much in the Bible. Now, we said there were a handful of outliers in the New Testament, instances where when the the offering of thanksgiving is a perversion of true thanksgiving. So maybe if we want to consider how we might get thanksgiving wrong, we should look at one of those outliers. uh, We're looking uh, Luke chapter 18, a parable that Jesus gives. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Okay, good job, Mr. Pharisee. You were thanking God. But there might be a problem with this dude's heart. He really isn't thankful to God for his righteousness. What the Pharisee is thankful for is that his behavior has been so stellar that God must be as pleased with him as he is pleased with himself. Remember, When we said that comparison kills contentment, comparison also kills humility, and it grows pride. Anyway, as the Pharisee reckons it, the Lord is in his debt. Now, the idea of debt helps us see that if we're not careful, Thanksgiving can move out of the realm of gift and into the realm of a transaction. Here's how it works. We recognize that along with the Pharisee, we are not extortioners, unjust, adulterers. We might fast twice a week, and we regularly give tithes. Good for us. But the problem comes when we try to exchange our righteous acts into spiritual currency. And then we take our little coins of righteousness to the divine bank where we try to spend them. Well, Paul, he thinks that's dumb. And so he's going to give us a little tutorial, a little help in his remarkable prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Here it goes. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so Paul shares this. This is his prayer list for the Colossian church, and there's some interesting stuff here. So we're going we're gonna to have a grammar spasm as we, as we look at this. We want to look at the verbs in this passage. And the verbs are a mix of active verbs and passive verbs. And that just means that the Colossians are actually doing some things, while other things are being done to and for them. So the Colossian is being filled. This is passive in verse 9, right? Being filled. And she's supposed to walk. That's active in verse 10. She's supposed to bear fruit. That's also active in verse 10. But she's being strengthened. That's passive in verse 11. She's giving thanks. That's active in verse 12. And she's being qualified and delivered. That's passive in verses 12 and 13. So what we see here embedded in this prayer is a tension we sometimes feel in our own path of discipleship and sanctification. Because we ask, or I ask, how my active participation in my own discipleship and sanctification, how does that cooperate with and contribute to what's being done by the Spirit? Is my sanctification, is our sanctification and growth our job, or is it the job of the Spirit? And is the tension between those two transactional? Well, I don't think so, and and we'll see why. But back to our original question, how does resolving that tension Help us understand the temptation to make thanksgiving transactional. Well, remember the Pharisee. He says, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. Nowhere does the Pharisee acknowledge that even his virtuous behavior is a gift of God. But in Paul's prayer for the Colossians, the gracious filling... The strengthening, the qualifying, and delivering that's done by the Spirit of Christ is all of a piece with the Colossians actively walking, bearing, and thanking. So the resolution of this tension is that everything begins with the Spirit of Christ. The Pharisee has no category for the gracious gift of the empowering Spirit, and so he truly has no one to thank but himself. I think that's why the New Testament insists that prayers of thanksgiving are always offered to God and for God's people, rather than offered to people for what they have done. Now, last question. What can we do to grow in thankfulness? Or put differently... What might some disciplines of gratitude be? And I'm going to suggest three, three of these. First, maybe we could begin by formulating more of our thanksgivings like the New Testament writers. Thanks to God for God's people and for their loving acts. Example, in my own own devotional life, I have a list of people that I pray for every week. But I often don't know what to pray for because I don't know what the needs are. Maybe you're the same. Well, I could offer thanks to God for those people whose needs I don't know. And doing that would encourage me to remember all the ways these folks are a gift to me. And I think that would help me avoid the the transaction trap. Second, we can recognize that in the Scripture, thanksgiving, like prayer, is not just an individual activity, but it's a corporate one. Thanksgiving is a liturgy for the church. When Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, he is not writing to a person. he's writing to a body. So, when he, when he says, Rejoice always, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. The people aren't thinking me, they're thinking us. Rejoicing always and praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. These commands seem really doable when I think of us doing them together. Maybe I can't rejoice in this thing. But you can rejoice for me. I can't pray without ceasing, but in our collective body we could. You might not be able to give thanks in all circumstances, but I can do that for you if you let me. So Paul gave thanks to God and for his brothers and sisters, and we are meant to do the same because we are meant to do things together. That takes me to what I think the key discipline of gratitude and thanksgiving is. It's prefigured in Luke chapter 24, where we get the story of some disciples walking to Emmaus. And as they're walking along. The risen Jesus joins them, but they don't recognize him. As they continue on, Jesus begins to explain from the scriptures everything pertaining to the Christ, but they still don't recognize him until they sit down for supper. And here's what Luke writes. And it happened that when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and gave thanks. And after breaking it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he became invisible to them, and they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Now, there's something revelatory about Jesus giving thanks and breaking bread. It's what we spoke of earlier, the Eucharist. In this Thanksgiving meal, we remember the Lord's gracious gift to us. And there's no transaction here. There is only gift. And participation in the table should always move us to gratitude and thanksgiving. We'll hear the words again in a little bit, but I want us to have them in our heads before we participate in the Thanksgiving meal. If you think about it, it's not unlike that meal back in Leviticus chapter 7. Here are the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he had eucharisted. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Eucharist, thanksgiving, is an act of remembrance, and it's an act of proclamation. In the thanksgiving, in the Eucharist, we remember the gift of the cross, and in the Eucharist, we proclaim the coming of the King. So let's give thanks, not just this week, but let's make that a habit and a pattern of life because it will shape our hearts in new ways that are glorifying to the giver of all good gifts. And that's our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these people and for the gracious gifts that you have given us. Lord, I pray you would shape our hearts into, into thanking hearts, into hearts that are reflective of the grace that we've been given. I thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.